I'd like to acknowledge that this broadcast is coming to you from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging. Gadigal people have been sharing stories and songs on this land since the beginning of time. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Hey, good afternoon. My name is Mia Hull and this show is called Out of the Box. It's where each week our guest tells the story of their life through the songs that mean a lot to them. And this week, I'm joined by Haitian-Australian writer, actor, singer and dancer Nancy Denis. Nancy has a solo show coming up next month, which we'll talk about later in the show. But right now, we're delving into all the moments that brought her here. Nancy Denis, thank you so much for joining me on Out of the Box today. You're most welcome, Mia. Thanks for having me. So that's a pretty extensive list of things you know how to do. Would I be right in adding activist to that list? I guess so, only because, I mean, I don't really know what the word activist means, to be honest, and I'm not, like, comfortable or uncomfortable with that title. I just feel like when I hear that title, I'm like, oh, well, maybe I could do more because, yeah, I'm just like, you know, I just feel like, okay, well, I should probably do more. And I just, all I really do is just, like, get all of the skills and talents bestowed upon me from my ancestors and God and then do that. And then I just feel like as I do that, I my work is about um, expressing the, I guess, traumas and joy <laughs> from being assimilated and living in this country and coming from where I come from. So I'm not really sure if that's activism. Like, you know, I am active within the community and go to protest and I'm part of committees and and I do work amongst things. So I guess I'm an activist, but it does feel a bit weird because, I don't know, for me, like the word activist, like even though I don't like the Oscars, it feels like that. Like it's a special, special word used for very special, special people. And I have really high regards for it. Um, but I guess maybe, I'm not sure. What's the definition? What does the <laughs> white man's book say on it? Yeah. But to some level you spend time working on things that matter to you and opening up pathways for people that matter to you. What kind of shape does that take? So it shapes out in ways that I try to be a part of projects that uh, have similar ways of wanting to make make art or make work that reflects people like myself in my community um, and also funding those works. So it looks like that. It looks like um, being a part of a committee called We Are The Mainstream. We're very early organisation, so we've got, you know, some kinks in there, of course, within the organisation. But the goals and the morals are the same. It's to uplift and support Indigenous and all black and all pe- women of colour. Um, in all kinds of women, you know, no matter, like, what your assigned gender was at birth. And it looks like, I guess, um, creating 
the work that I I have created, which was Mapule, um, which you know started as like a story, I guess, about me, but eventuating to realizing it's a story about um, children of immigrants and how it is to grow up in an assimilated country and kind of the confusion that can come with that and the frustrations that can come with that. Um, but also the realization of having a sense of belonging and realizing, you know, f- particularly for this country, you know, we are on black land with a lot of white people on it and white rules and, um, and yeah, and also just doing music with my brothers as well. I guess is also like showing that, you know, we exist. It's so, it's like a diff, it's difficult sometimes to think about it because it's not like I chose to be an activist. It was more like thrusted upon me because that I'm, you can physically tell that I'm black and a woman. You can't tell that I'm queer unless I tell you. But like, and because of that, it was kind of like, I had to be louder than what the word was telling me that I was like, um, you know, internally and externally, and then and then refusing to be a part of works that didn't help represent that. Um, and then, yeah, really. I hope I answered that. Okay. No, I, I think you did, and I think the point you just made about you were kind of thrusted into that because it's, it's obvious the intersections that you fall in. Mm. Um, I'm wondering if when you're speaking out about these problems, you're speaking to people in your community or are you making projects like Mutbele for white people? Yeah, good question. Um, no, I, I definitely make my work for my community. I want my community to see it. And, and you know, but some of my community does involve white people which I don't think is a bad thing <laughs> because it's not it's not white people that we're exactly angry at. It's white supremacy, which takes on many different forms. They don't always look white, white supremacy. It's a powerful construct. Um, so, yeah, I mean, white people can watch it. Will they slightly be offended? Yeah. Was that the point? No, nah, a little bit. Like, just a little bit. It's like, mate, if you're watching this show, you know, whether it's online or the live concert version and you're a little bit offended, it's like, oh, what, you're a little bit offended for 45 minutes? Imagine being, like, just extremely offended all the time. Imagine growing up with people being, like, imagine growing up uh, with people asking you every week at performing arts school if you washed your skin. How do you wash your hair? Why does your skin look like that every single day? And then, you know, some part inside of you is like, these are weird questions. These are, like, probably really insulting. But not knowing that until you're, like, 18, 19, 20 and looking back and being like, that's fucked. Oh, my God, I grew up with that That's microaggressions. Yeah, microaggressions, right? Learning about that later in life and having to give that a word was, like, one of the best days of my life. I was like, that's what that is. That sucked. And so that 45 minutes of discomfort you're talking about is your upcoming show, Mutt Belay. Mm. Tell me about that show. What is it? Yeah, so it's actually, like, unfortunately for y'all out there, but it's not that unfortunate. It's just because it like, takes money to put that up, you know, and I need, like, real budget. <laughs> okay. Um, it's Nancy Denis featuring songs from Mutt Belay and more. 
So that's the show that will be on in May at the Darlinghurst Theatre Company. And and it doesn't go, it goes for like an hour. And it'll probably go for 90 minutes knowing what I'm like, just going a little bit over time. So be ready. Um, and so it's really like I'm just going to attempt to take you through like a bit of that journey from the show, but then also some more because... I can, um, with some like poetry um, in the middle, and maybe a few excerpts from the 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 play, and yeah, it's just going to be a night of like storytelling through song, really. And that's that's the story of you growing up as a Haitian Australian in yeah. Sydney. Yeah, it'll be it it, it is. I mean, Mapole, the play with songs, is about yeah, an immigrant child, myself, a Haitian born in Australia and navigating that way. And also it was, it, it is an obsession with my ancestry too, to begin with. We're warriors, we're fighters. You know, in 1804, that was the revolution, first all black republic slave country to revolt and win against its people. We beat Napoleon, you know, we beat the French. And so that's where it comes from. My strength comes from my ancestors as well. I want to spend the next part of the show talking about that strength and the moments in your life that have led you to fight like this. Mm-hmm. But first, we're going to dive into a song, kind of fitting. Um, most deaf mathematics. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I, um, I heard this song only like a few years back. I think it's been out for a while. And I just had it on repeat for like three days. Because it just felt, it felt like fuel to the fire. It was like giving me words of inspiration and also connecting the dots and calling it mathematics. And I just thought, most def- I most definitely love you. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's dive into it. It's Mathematics by Most Def on FBI Radio 94.5. And this song comes with a language warning. Bucka, 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 bucka. You know the devil. This is me, though. Beast by Supremo for all of my people, Negroes and Latinos, and even the Gringos. Yo, check it one for Charlie Hustle, two for Steady Rock, three for the four coming live, future shock. It's five dimensions, six senses, seven from a mess of heaven to hell, eight million stories to tell, nine planets faithfully keep an orbit with the probable tenth. The universe expands length, the body of my text possess extra strength, power lift the powerless up out of this towering inferno. My ink so hot it burned through the journal. I'm black at midnight on bro, where you myrtle. Hip hop past all your tall social hurdles like the nationwide pride. This prison industry complex Working class poor Better keep your alarm set Streets too loud To ever hear freedom ring Say you're back in with your sleep It's dangerous to dream But your chain cats Get they chip You dead now Killing fields Need blood to graze The cash cow It's a numbers game But shit don't add up somehow Like I got 16 to 32 bars To rock it But only 15% of profits Ever seen my pockets Like 69 billion In the last 20 years Spent on national defense But folks still live in fear Like nearly half of America's largest cities Is one quarter the black, that's why they gave Ricky Ross all the crap. 16 ounces to a pound, 20 more to a key. A five minute sentence here, and then you're no longer free. 40% of Americans own a cell phone, so they can hear everything that you say when you ain't home. I guess Michael Jackson was right. You are not alone. Rock your hard hat black as you in the terror dome. Full of hard niggas. Lo, 
charge niggas, dice tumblers, young teens in prison, greens placing life numbers, crack mothers, crack babies, and AIDS patients, young bloods can't spell, but they can rock you at PlayStation, snow mappers with my motherfuckers ass, you wanna know how to rhyme, you better learn how to add, it's mathematics, mighty most definitely, it's simple mathematics, check it out, Mighty most deaf. It's simple mathematics. Check it out. I'll revolve around science. What are we talking about here? Two sides to every story, three strikes, and you bitten for life. Mandatory. Four MCs murdered in the last four years. I ain't trying to be the fifth when the millennium is here. Yo, it's six million ways to die. From the seven deadly drills. Eight-year-olds getting found with nine mils. It's 10 p.m. where your C's at. What's the deal? They on the hill pumping krills to keep their bellies filled. Lighting the ass with heavy steel. Sights on the pretty shit in life. Young soldiers trying to earn their next strike. When the average minimum wage is 5.15, you best believe you gotta find a new grind to get cream. The white Unemployment rate is nearly more than triple for black. So frontliners got their gun in your back. Bubble and crack. Jewel theft and robbery to combat poverty and end up in the global jail economy. Stiffer stipulations attached to each sentence. Budget cutbacks but increased police presence. And even if you get out of prison, still living, join the other five million under state supervision. This is business. No faces, just lines and statistics from your phone, your zip code, the SSI digits. The system break man channel women in the figures. Two columns for who is and who ain't. Niggas, numbers is hard and real and they never have feelings But you push too hard, even numbers got limits Why the one straw break the camel back, here's the secret The million other straws underneath it, it's all mathematics Mighty most definitely It's simple mathematics Check it out I'll revolve around science What are we talking about here? Mighty most definitely It's simple mathematics Check it out That was Mo's Deaf and Mathematics on FBI Radio 94.5. You're tuned into Out of the Box with me, Mia Hull, and Haitian Australian actor Nancy Denis. Nancy, where did you grow up? I grew up in Waterloo, Redfern. Um, and then in about year one, year two, is when we moved out of Waterloo, Redfern, and just started just renting everywhere. Ashfield, Belfield, Canterbury, did I say Belmore? Belmore, then back to Rosebury, then Mascot. Sydney through and through. Sydney through and through. That's the one. Gadigal land, baby. And your parents are from Haiti? Yes, both of them. Did you ever go back there as a kid? No, I've never been back. My brother Hilton has, and I'm super jealous of him. Oh my goodness. He met our grandma. She's 102. So jelly. Ugh, looking into her eyes is going to be the best day of my life. Anyway, um, no, I haven't. Not yet. The plan was actually to be there this year um, if COVID didn't happen. Um, but we, we, you know, I'm just, the, the aim is definitely to get my feet on there ASAP. Why are you so eager to go there? Oh, just the sense of... Um, the sense of belonging, a sense of, like, touching the soil, like being on the land where my ancestors fought for my life would just be, like, the best feeling ever. I just feel like there'd be a, an amazing sensation. And also to be with my grandma, you know, she's my only matriarch alive at the moment, you know, so I want to make it there before 
120th birthday. Because the women in my family on that side actually do live to 120. It's a thing. 120? Yeah, just all of them. Just shrugs. Yeah, 120. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully the border's open soon enough for that to happen. Well, you've got 18 years. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I want to go before then. And it would be amazing if I, you know, if I do have children to, like, bring them to her, her great-great-grandbabies. Yeah. I want to talk about the house you grew up in, or mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just pick the one that you think of when I say your childhood home. Mm-hmm. What does it look like? Can you describe it to me? Mum's cooking. It smells good. Dad's either coming home for work or getting ready for work. Um, I'm young. I'm like five or four. My brothers are playing and they're not letting me play with them because I'm too little, but I'm going to try anyway. Um... And the computer room is around the corner. It's like old internet. And and then actually then sometimes we're watching Coming to America as a family. That was a really good, funny time. And it's so funny because I remember watching that movie with them and like laughing with them, but I had no idea what I was laughing at. And then years later I watch it again and I'm like, oh, my God, that's not I was laughing so much because that is actually very, very funny. Um and that's 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 the house I remember. That's my favourite house that I remember. And then as the years go by, you know, we get older. I am allowed to play with the boys. We can all go out together. Mum and Dad are definitely getting a divorce ASAP. Then it's just a home with Mummy and the boys. Yeah, it changes. But that one's my favourite. I've heard you talk about leaving your home felt like entering Australia sometimes and then coming mm. back was like coming back to Haiti. Mm. What does it feel like to go out into Australia every day? What was that like for you growing up? I call it like warrior training. That's what it was like. Because like when I was in Waterloo with all my friends of diversity, there was a there was a way of playing and interacting with each other that was, that was fiercely honest. And so I would go home to a fiercely honest home and neighbourhood and then I would leave home and go to like a public school in Paddington where the warfare was really different. Like I remember I got bullied this one time because like, like you know, I'm like six or something and I was like fully physically attacked by these boys because one of the boys I said at some point he had a bum chin, you know, like a little <laughs> dimple. No big deal. In my mind, it was no big deal because I'm like, it's honest. I didn't make that up. Yeah. It's kind of handsome sometimes as no, well. No, <laughs> it's like, it is handsome. It's quiet for all the boys and girls and the babies out there who've got them. I'm like, it's a cute look. But my point was is that you have one, okay? And then, like, neck me at recess. I just get jumped by these boys. And I'm like, meh, I run to the other side of the school to my mummy. Like, <laughs> I was just attacked by these boys. And then our, um, some of our friends who came from the hood with us, um, his little brother, Ben, love you, Ben, love you so much, he goes to the other side of the playground and, like, you know, deals with them for me. And then at lunchtime I get this apology and I'm like, okay, go away, I hate you. Um, <laughs> um, so what it was like was just learning that I couldn't be fiercely honest in Australia if... Um, it was like this weird um, way of attacking. It was actually, that's where I learned how, like what bitching was. It was like this um, sneaky, 
trash talk behind and in front of people's back. Clicky, I learned about clicky behaviour um, in white Australia. And just, like, I didn't enjoy primary school. Like, I was lucky enough to go to a performing arts school and that was my favourite place to go. But even there, that was even traumatic and problematic. But it was where I built upon the skills um, of the arts. So, like, you know, that's what I enjoyed doing. And I guess I knew that I was going to do that. I had to have. I'm still doing it. (laughs) An experience that kids with immigrant parents sometimes talk about is this feeling of not really belonging anywhere. You don't really know if you're Australian enough to be Australian and you weren't born in the country that your parents are born in, so you don't really know if you fit there as well. How did you navigate that growing up? I didn't really navigate it very well um, because in Year 5 in this country, I don't know if it's still a curriculum, but you learn about white Australia um, in conjunction with learning about apparently hunters and gatherers you just get this very warped idea of of um, what Australia is and what it means to be Australian. And I think they do that absolutely on purpose, um, giving that information at such a young age. Because I remember reading that title and reading the first page and then looking around me and realising I was the only black person in the room and then I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't think I belong here. Even though... Um, and also, like, it's crazy. Even the, the pages they give you of the Indigenous folk... Um, is in black and white. That's really confusing too. It's all really, oh, it's insidious. White supremacy is insidious. And navigating that feeling was annoying. Like my parents would be like, oh, you're Australian. And I'd be like, no, I'm not. No, I am not. And they're like, oh, you've got a passport. I'm like, that's cute, but I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm Haitian, even though I wasn't born there. And Haitians are very proud of all of their Haitians all across the diaspora. It's like, if you're Haitian, you belong home, you belong with us. And I really appreciate that. Um, so I didn't navigate that very well. It wasn't only until, like, you know, my my young teenage adult years that I was like, actually, this is a black country with a lot of white people. And actually, I belong here more than I've ever realized. Um, and... Yeah, but I also think that sense of belonging thing that a lot of immigrant children feel like you're like, I'm not Australian enough to be Australian, but I'm also not, you know, whatever my cultural background is enough to be there because lateral lateral violence exists everywhere, you know, in many different cultures. I also believe that is the trickery of white supremacy as well, the dividing of the human race. Like, I'm still human, whether my skin is black or white or whatever colour or whatever shade. We're actually all still human, and the fight against supremacy is the fight against the construct that is against humanity. It's against humanity on every single level. And that's, I guess, how I'm dealing with it now. Yeah, because digging further into that as well, I saw in a different interview you said, quote-unquote, you didn't feel like you were the correct type of black. Yeah. How does that happen? Can you explain that to me? Well, because, you know, so there's, you know, the welcoming to country. There's, you know, being initiated into country. There's there's all these things that can happen. It felt like, even though it's so crazy, because how do I explain this? We're fully yet to be under the leadership and guidance of the custodians of this land. There is a sense, there was a sense in me that I guess I was the wrong kind of black because I'm in the industry of like acting where you'd get, I'd get sent scripts or auditions or one acting teacher even told me, 
you know, you could play indigenous roles. And I was like, no, I cannot. I am not indigenous. Yeah, idiot. <laughs> um, and and then being like, well, if I can't, you know, can't play those, then maybe I'm the wrong kind of um, black to be here. You know, it was just that kind of sense of like, I don't know, there was a part of me that wanted um, to feel more a part of this country on an indigenous level, which is so weird because in true fact, like, you know, when I was born, I actually like stopped breathing for quite a long time at some point. My mum was like doing the laundry and she was like, you turned blue. And then, you know, both of my parents um, studied nursing and so they both gave a go at trying to revive me and it didn't work. And so then my mum put me on her shoulder and then ran down to the hospital that used to be here in Redfern that didn't have an emergency road. And it was like every Indigenous fella at the time could like hear my mum's cries and came and like followed her to the back of this building and like banged on the door with her until the doctors came out to get me. And then they like, you know, the doctors like ended up taking fluids out of my lung that was like half a litre, if you can imagine like a little baby lungs having that much fluid in it. And like that in its strange way was like, you know, this kind of rebirthing here on this country by the custodians in a weird way. My mummy always tells me that story and to never forget that. And also she always reminded me since that day, you know, like, you know, they they saved your life, you have to do everything you can for these people. And I'm like, I will, mummy, I will. Yeah. You've chosen a Queen G song to play for today. Yeah. Tell me about the song. It's called Black Girl Magicians. I think it's pretty self-explanatory from the title, but it's just this really beautiful song and it's an uplifting song and it's a reminder song that, you know, black women, black girls, we are magicians. You know, it's not like, you know, because there's that black girl magic, right? But it's, you no, know, we are like weavers of our own destiny, you know? We, we manifest and this song is all that and more. On FBI Radio 94.5, this is Queen G and Black Girl Magicians and it has a language warning. Unacceptable, not accepting, protesting, disrupting, confronting, saying something 
in the name of love, love, healing for everything that's living. Stop surviving, start living, being, slaying. Never stop praying for the freedom fight. The givers of light will unite. The givers of light will unite. Magicians transform the vision. Magicians transform the vision. Black girl magicians. Radio 94.5 DAV, or if you're streaming online, that was Black Girl Magicians by Queen G, a song chosen by my guest on Out of the Box, actor Nancy Denis. You started school in Redfern. What was that like? At Mount Carmel. It was great. It was really fun and confusing. Mate, life is so confusing sometimes, actually all the time. Mate, when I watch kids like navigate the world, I'm like, it's confusing. Like sometimes they have a look in their face like, I'm confused. And I'm like, yeah, it, it's hard out her. It's real hard. You're doing a great job. Here's a hug if you, if you consent to it. You know, got to teach them that <laughs> they have full control over their body. Um, and um, yeah, it was it was fun. Like my best friend was with me, and my brother's with me, and home was really close. You know, I could, it was walking distance. It was really it was um, really fun. Why did you leave that school? Because things got real. The police kept arresting. A lot of young black boys, and my brothers are young black boys. And so my mum was like, oh, we got to go. we got to go. We've got to move to a, a whiter neighbourhood, and we're going to take you to whiter schools. Because a lot of immigrant parents think it's safer, especially immigrant parents of black children, they think it's safer to be in whiter neighbourhoods because to some degree they're probably completely correct. I feel like if my mum did make that move, I would have been coming out of jail today with tats and a reputation that could kill and it <laughs> would have been really cool, but also really hard, harder. Um, yeah, it was just getting, yeah, it was just getting a bit out of control. When you were in high school, you attended a party in Cronulla where you met two boys. Oh, there. my God, yes, the Trinidad brothers. <laughs> the Trinidadian brothers. Yeah, that's true. So I was in high school, and um, a lot of the kids in my high school all came from the Shire. Why? Who cares? Who knows? But um, I was invited to, like, a house party in Cronulla, and um, she invited her Cronulla friends. And then these two Trinidad brothers were there, and it was, like, the best, because, you know, I was like, oh, my God, look at us, three black people here. 
And I was like, where are you from? They're like, Trinidad. And I'm like, I'm from Haiti. And they're like, whoa, we're like, like, you know, we're like island cousins. And I'm like, that's amazing. And then we started talking and talking and talking, having a really good time, haha, laughing. And then this silly, silly Becky with the good hair goes, oh my God, guys, what language are you speaking? And I looked at her with like a shocked, dumbfounded, like, are you dumb? Look at my face, me like, we're speaking English. Are you for real? And I looked at the boys and I was like, is she for real? Like, is she for real, for real? And they were just kind of laughing, being like, oh, do, is this the first time someone's done that to you? And like, I'm like, well, like, what is she saying? What is, what do you, like, this, okay? And that was just a great example of a, of white Australia and how non-bilingual, linguistically friendly this country is, which I think keeps it dumb. Um, because I don't, I don't think we had an accent, but we might have fallen into one. I'm not sure. Because we were just having a good time chatting, you know, having a drink, having some snacks, and just talking and being funny. But it's a very common thread here in Australia that if an, a white Australian hears an accent, they Im- immediately, it's like their brain loses IQ and intelligence and they're like, I'm sorry, I can't understand what you're saying. Like, even though these people are speaking English and like all of my life with my mum, wherever we went, to the pharmacy, the grocery store, anywhere, anywhere, anywhere where there was white people serving us and she would start speaking, they would be like, I'm sorry, ma'am, I don't understand you. And she would always say, without a doubt, um, I'm speaking English, do you not understand? No, she'd say, do you not understand English? Do you need to clean your ears out? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, at first, I, I remember being a little bit embarrassed because I'm just like, don't make a scene. I just want to go home. What's going on? But I love that she said that every time because it's like, true, she's speaking English. I know she's speaking English because she taught me how to speak English. I'm speaking to you like, what's your problem? And I just, and that's totally what happened at that party. This little Becky with the good hair was like, you're speaking English. I'm like, bitch, are you speaking English? Ugh. So your mum's had a big impact on the fierceness then? You have to be. Like, yeah. <laughs> in order just to be yourself and exist, like, you have to be. Like, my mum is a loving, loving, nurturing, beautiful woman and highly intelligent. And, like, she has an accent because, one, she's not from here, and, two, she can speak five languages. How many languages can you speak? Do you, like, not you particularly, but, like, to the people who would say that to my mum. You know, it's crazy because I've been to like Florida, right, Miami, and to visit like my family, like my auntie and my cousins and stuff, which was like the best. I cried so much. And it was amazing going grocery shopping with my auntie because we would just go grocery shopping, petrol, whatever. And as soon as she, she could speak Haitian everywhere she went because they like the lady at the desk or the man at the desk, you know, bilingual, you know, I'd watch them serve other people and be like, hey, ma'am, how are you going today? Blah, blah. And then my auntie would be like, blah, blah, blah. And then they would speak back to her. And I was just like this. But you didn't learn Haitian when you were little, did you? No, I still don't know it. But I'm obsessed with it and I add it in every work that I possibly can. Like I've got um, my my mummy and daddy who speak it and I've got like people in our Haitian community who speak it so I just go to them for like help and translation and stuff. And like when I was in Florida, my little baby cousins were like, don't worry, I will teach you. And I'm like, oh, you can teach me in a day, my darling. And they're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, and Candy, like, it's easy. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so jealous of your childhood. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't. I can't speak it. 
The next song you've chosen for today is by Barker. Hey, 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 Barker. <laughs> yeah, 22 Clan. It's a powerful, powerful song. Every time Barker performs and I hear her voice, I just feel like my spirit just starts to simmer, like the flames just get like hoofed with some air and I'm like, like that. She's just so powerful. She speaks to my soul and my spirit, and that's why I chose this song. It's Barker on FBI Radio 94.5. This song is called 22 Clan, and guess what? It comes with a language warning. Surprise. Twenty two clan, baby. Yeah, yeah. Dead their door, set the record straight. My team heavyweight. One mob reppin', we the first to originate. Y'all can try discriminate, you've been doing it anyway. We just keep stepping, coming up, watch us elevate. Deuce, Layla Park, Rivers in the pen rip. Mac Fridge ripping, no, I never let the pen slip. Mary's at the crime, bro, way up to the ridge. One log to the mob, out in West Side City. You better be ready to get it, I'm spitting the kick in the rhythm and moving the difference. I go on and listen, we're bringing the vision, the fatty get with it, we got them all tripping. Listen, Murray from the Mac Town. Not here in black tear, no question about it. Joey got to bring it back, so what's the half? Who we be? Running with the 22 clan. Who we be? Running with the 22 clan. Where we be? B N E down the S Y D. Steady rapping for our original piece. Who we be? Running with the 22 clan. Who we be? Running with the 22 clan. Where we be? B N E down the S Y D. Steady rapping for our original piece. You say I'm oppressed, but you oppressed in the mark. Thousand years of bloodline, you ain't even got spines. Why privilege tears on the floor? Soak it up, snowflake. Why you crying for if it's just only a day? It's a day where all my women got beaten and raped. Babies got buried in the sand and they got kicked in the face. Took our heads back as tokens. Yeah, I will pam away. I stay proud of my culture, but convict culture's the range. You can call me black, I'm black and cheat of the bone. Black and strong like my tribe, waiting for our river to flow. I run my mouth like Kathy's legs and I back it all up. Got my brothers on the sideline and they run the ball up. What? From the big smoke, but this titter's connected. Well respected, I'm a reflection of my mother's perception. I stay flexing, even when I question some of my lessons. It's a blessing to have this melanin in my complexion. I got my mob on my back. Curry cried to the death. We're gonna braid them all black until we're the last ones left. And I ain't backing down from no one till I give my respect. Yes, I'm a little radical, but you just get what you get. Who we be? Running with the 22 clan. Who we be? Running with the 22 clan. Where we be? B-N-E down the S-Y-D. Steady rapping for our original piece. Who we be? Running with the 22 clan. Who we be? Running with the 22 clan. Where we be? Definitely a singer, definitely a dancer, <laughs> Nancy Denis. Nancy, when did you start to see acting as something you could do as a career? There was a few moments. I think the main moment was when um, I did, I was on set with Baz Luhrmann for The Great Gatsby and just watching how that worked and then doing that, I was like, oh, I want to do that. That's for the rest of my life. This looks easy. Well, it wasn't looking easy. I'm like, but this is 
pretty fucking easy. I was like, I love this. This is like fucking great. And then I went to an acting school and then I was like, oh yeah, like I definitely like this art form. And then, I mean, I was also really naive at one point, like really, really naive, which I think led to, to good things. Cause I used to like watch Angelina Jolie and I know she'd be white, she's got thick lips. Um, but I used to watch her and I was like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Because I was just like, I then I, I didn't realize racism was so real for a while. And so I would see people that I would watch, whether they were white or black, and just be like, I can do that too. Because they're human and I'm human and they exist and I exist, so why can't I? Why shouldn't I be able to do that? And then I guess acting acting is like less harmful on your body than dancing too, so you can do it for a long time. But you can also do dancing for a very long time too, as you know, body conditioning is like a real thing. You can really do that, keep that up forever. Um, and then I think acting just made... It made my soul ignite more. I don't know. There's something about that craft that I just love. Like I got bitten by that bug and I'm like in it. And I love to chew it and be a part of it. And also that I write now in it too is just so, it's a powerful tool. I think um, acting in the arts is a powerful tool. It's something that is amazing. You can You can create experiences that will be left in people's minds and hearts forever and you can really make an impact um on people's way of thinking i believe with with acting and i think um being able to use that tool and have that is um something that i really treasure yeah and you you act in theater tv film you, it's a hustle, baby. It's, it's a, a hustle, hustle. Baby. and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a big hustle. You just casually skimmed over the fact that you played a role in The Great Gatsby before. Where <laughs> Nancy's rolling her eyes right now. Well, do you know what? Hair the flip. residuals are cute. A paycheck's a paycheck. You know what I'm saying? Um, on Netflix, there's this show called Six Hundred Bottles of Wine. That's what it's called. And I play a character called Timmy. She's cute. She's the token. I call her token Timmy. <laughs> Let's get into that because you were talking about playing an active role in the writing room and trying to infiltrate and share your ideas as well. When you know that the role you're playing is tokenistic, what do you do about that? When I first got the role and like the writer and producers just asked me and they didn't even think about it. I was actually kind of like, oh, so you're aware that I'm black and I'm just going to play this role and I'm in it? And they were like, yeah, they were naive that it was token, like, you know, to it. And, like, I did it and that was good and um, stuff. But then they invited me into the room for the the writer's room for the season two. And that was, like, the first thing I said. I was like, well, so we're fully aware that token Timmy is token Timmy. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, have you never heard of that term before? And then I had to break that down to them, explain to them, because South Park has a really great character called Token, which I explained to them. And they were like, and then they felt awful. They were like, oh, no, oh, no. And I was like, wake up today, please. 
And then it was like, well, can we talk about that season two? Like, I want that to be obvious. I want that to be a journey for Timmy too. I want Timmy to go from being a token Timmy to no longer wanting to be a token Timmy. And like talking about that amongst her friends, which is you guys, and like having that scene in that. And they were like, let's do it. And that was great. And they were really open to it, which is really cool. And, you know, and we'll see what happens, you know, season two. Have you done that with other roles as well? Um, when I audition for things and I read the script and I don't agree with something, it's like the first thing that's going to come out of my mouth in that audition room. And does that impact your ability to get roles if you're, you know, criticising the role from from audition onwards? You know what? Probably. Probably in some ways in a negative way for depending how you look at it. And then I would say in most ways a positive way in how you look at it. Because yeah, first off, I'm like, I know they ain't going to forget me, you know. Whether they hire me or not is upon their morals and ethics and how much they want to, you know, get rid of white supremacy, which is like throwing it back them and also inviting them for self-determination. Um, and then I think in other ways I think, no, because, you know, maybe I've probably, yeah, it probably has like um, – I don't, they probably look at me and maybe think I'm problematic. I don't think it's that I'm problematic. I think that's like they're probably intimidated, and I don't care. I'm like, if you think I'm intimidated, then I'm probably not supposed to work with you, and that's fine. And then other people are like, I love it. I love that you just say what you mean, because you also just know that I'm not going to, you know, lie to you. You know that if you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an honest answer. And an honest answer just means from my perspective, it doesn't mean that it's true or right. You just asked for, you know, I'm just going to give you what I know and what I'm thinking and feeling. Um, um, but, yeah, I think in most ways, like, it just means that I've got, like, a reputation out there. And I don't think that reputation out there is a bad one. I think that reputation out there is that she's honest and she's real. It's a powerful so, reputation to have out there. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It just knows that you, you're going to get what you're going to get. What you're going to get is some power and some and some real, if that's what you want in your project. If that's not what you want in your project, then don't talk to me. Speaking your mind that way is challenging for anyone. Who, who taught you to stand up for yourself like that? Where did you learn to advocate like that? My mummy and my daddy and my ancestors. Did you ever have mentors? Oh, yeah, I had a mentee this one time. Um, and we won't speak that person's name because that was actually very problematic menteeship. Because first off, they said that it was an informal mentorship, which is an oxymoron because mentorship implies formality. And so that, that really should have been the warning sign at the beginning. But, you know, I was willing and wanting because I was not mentally well at the time when I met this person. And I believe they took absolute advantage and manipulated me quite a lot. They said awful things to me. They said that I was autistic, which is kind of awful to be said if you're not. Um, so they can make you feel like beneath them and that they need to speak for you or anything like that. And I also believe this person just used up my juice for their own benefit. But the moment I woke up to it, I was like, oh, we're dumb. No, thank you. Um, but I'm actually really grateful that um, mentor, informal mentorship, because it, it, it helped with my self-determination so much more. Because at the time when I met this person... I wasn't well, like I said, and I was getting really tired, like my spirit was getting really tired of not seeing my reflection or knowing that I had permission to do it. And and then so with this men, 
um, mentorship, I realized that I didn't need permission to do it, that I could just do it. The permission actually came from within. Um, I also was initiated into my um, ancestral religion of Ifa slash Vodun, um, um, towards the end of that process, which also gave me another, like, you know, boost of energy. Um, but there's also, like, there's, like, I trust, like, I think I have to explain this, that every single day of my life for a very long time, I pray to my ancestors and to God for strength. I have deep conversations with them being initiated into my religion having my guardians with me I also speak to them and I know that they're with me as well and that's that's where that's where the strength and the power comes from and the and to feel that I have a right to say that is because I know that I'm spiritually backed up because I work on that spiritual backup I take care of my ancestors I take care of the relationship that I have with them and with God and with my guardians all the time and there are times where I'm not so great at that too because I'm tired because I forgot something because I'm lacking and you know I've got I've got my godfather who helps me get back on that track to continue that too that's how I do it I'm not out here like on some ego <clears throat> on some ego strike or some ego whim it's like no I can stand in that room I can look those people in the eye because of that spiritual backing and and because I'm working on it every single day and that's really where that self-determination comes from as well like as much you know my mum and my dad they pray every single day every single day for themselves for their children for the, um, our family back home every single day multiple times a day and that is like that's where my strength comes from praying 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 and you know and people are like oh religion oh religion oh religion i'm like don't get it twisted there is white supremacy within religion too so you know get get you know talk to your ancestors and find out which one you want to be a part of but the word religion itself translates to the organization of the spirits and that's what i'm with i'm organizing the spirits amongst me within me and sticking to that every single day and that is 1000% where i get all of this courage and inspiration from absolutely absolutely the next song you've chosen to play today is one that you've said relates to your experience in the industry tell me about that it's kid cuddy surfing it's like my personal anthem it's one of my personal anthems. It's the best song ever. I just love it so much. It's just Kid Cudi's song, Surfin'. It encourages one, to, I think, to, to, to stay busy surfing your own waves. When I first heard it, I thought he was saying, too busy making my own waves, which I also love that my internalness um, in expressed that way too because I also think it's it's a metaphor for that too it's like stay busy making your own waves stay busy surfing your own waves don't worry about anybody else there's a line in it that's like that goes um the industry so full of poo <laughs> welcome y'all to the enema and it's like great because that's completely true um and then there's another line it's like if um if you don't understand my flex it's not my issue and I'm like absolutely like Understand yourself, get internal with yourself, write what you do, make what you make. There is an audience out there for you and those are the people you are talking to and stick with that. So yeah, Kid Cudi, Sofen, it's just, it's great. I could listen to it on repeat forever. Well, we'll dive into it right now on FBI Radio 94.5. It does come with a language warning as well. You're listening to Out of the Box with me, Mia Hull and Nancy Denis.
Separate on my own way, baby. Separate on my own way, baby. Separate on my own way, baby. Separate on my own way. Night is electrical, I've been told y'all this is cinema. I am on my Kubrick horn like a Spielberg, close to kind of fall. Feeling awesome to be black, and I'm making all competition. Making what I wanna, that's a flex. Can't do what you want, I ain't that a bitch. Slow up when no one is choking. Magic, I'm feeling my pulse, make them go down with them hums. Shit. Welcome y'all to the enema. Nah, man, no subliminal. Cause they're insecure, they know who they are. Feeling awesome to be black. And I'm working all competition. Everything that I do is a flex. If you don't get me, not my issue, bitch. Slow up, I know when the show gun. Got the magic in my palms. Make them go dumb with them hums. dancer, singer, activist, Nancy <laughs> Denis. Uh, Nancy's been choosing songs and telling stories of her life as a Haitian Australian throughout the show. You've chosen a lot of songs. You've not really touched on the fact that you yourself make songs in a band. Tell me about your band. Oh my God, Mia, great plug-in. Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I'm in a band with my brothers called HIA, H-I-A, which stands for Haitians in Australia, which I know is a little bit on the nose, but whatever. We don't say that. We just go HIA, like HIA, like we're HIA. We're HIA, that's what we say. And um, yeah, I make music with my brothers, and it's really great and beautiful to make music with your family. It's difficult at some points, but it's mostly magical in many other points. Um, you know, we all love music so much. We all bring our strengths to it. We're definitely like a little trio unit. And also like, you know, having three heads to come up with music and to make decisions is also really great and special. And also it's just like, I just love them so 
much. <laughs> and our music is like, um, I call it R&B folk music, but there is actually no genre category for that. So I guess it's more like alternative R&B, alternative soul, alternative hip hop, definitely on the alternative because we definitely make music that we that feels good to us. And a friend of mine, Queen G, in fact, she, um, you know, we've got music being released um, on April 23rd. So y'all keep keep your Spotify on that look out um and I showed her um our clip and then she was listening to it and she was like oh my god that's why I forget that you guys make music that's different because you'll look at us and you expect I guess what mainstream hip-hop sounds like to come out of us and it's really just not what comes out of us because it's just not it's just not it's, I don't know it's just not what else it's not our sound um and you as a listener can find out what that sound is firsthand very soon because you've got shows coming up, don't you? Yes, we do. So um, follow us on Instagram, which is HIA underscore music underscore because HIA was taken by some fraud out there. Um, but it's all good. If you keep up to date with that, so we're releasing music on April 23rd and there will be a tour coming up this year. We're going to go, I'm pretty sure, like Newcastle, Brisbane and Townsville. Um, there will be more shows. Um, we'll, we'll be doing here probably at Low 302 because we love that joint and other places like that. Um, and also at the end of each night of my show, I will be bringing my brothers on to do a song, which will be fun. Well, yeah. that will be something great to head along to in mm-hmm. May. Mm-hmm. If you're free, it's happening at the Darlinghurst Theatre Company from the 11th through to the 15th. I'll pop that up in the show notes on fbiradio.com. Nancy Denis, thank you so much for joining me today on Out of the Box. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've chosen a Tupac song to finish things on. Oh, my God, I love him. Yeah, I have. So I've chosen Tupac, Keep Your Head Up, because, oh, my gosh, it is just the best song. I, like, it's hard to not cry every time I listen to this song, but this song is just so encouraging, like having... Tupac's amazing voice and spirit tell you over and over again to keep your head up and then in the first or second verse to talk about how to respect a woman and be like we all come from a woman and just like the respect he has for women is just in this song is really beautiful and he just keeps like saying keep your head up and he's like I know times are hard but you can do it and even talking about around is like getting me a little bit teary because you know as much as like you know I come across with like um sorry as much as I come across with, like, a lot of strength and people see, like, that's the first thing they, they, they see, they're like, oh, power and strength. I'm like, I'm actually really tired, I'm really exhausted, and I'm really, um, there's, like, a lot of sadness inside of me that that is, like, that just exists because, like, the idea to to have to fight for your existence and to, to fight to make space and room for people who you know who are going to exist after you, who are going to look like you, is so exhausting. And it's it's an inhumane fight. We're fighting against inhumanity, and it's not easy. So this song is just a really nice... Um, it's just... It's like he knows, and he's telling you to keep your head up, and I just really appreciate this song, and I love it. And I didn't think I was going to cry, but I'm also really tired I haven't had a day off in a while, so, like, (laughs) but, yeah, I really like this song. It's encouraging and it reminds me to keep my head up and basically to every, every 
warrior listening to this song and listening to this interview it's also a reminder for you too to keep your head up whether you're in bed listening to this um whether you're on the train listening whether you're in the middle of your hustle doing this like y'all gotta keep your head up and tupac believes in you you can do it baby girl <laughs> it's keep your head up on fbi this song does come with a language warning thanks for tuning in bye The black of the belly, the sweet of the juice. I say the dark of the flesh and the deep of the roots. I give a holler to my sister's own welfare. Two black kids, if don't nobody else care. And uh, I know they like to beat you down a lot. And when you come around the block, brothers clown a lot. But please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up. Forgive, but don't forget, girl, keep your head up. And when he tells you you ain't nothing, don't believe him. And if you can't learn to love you, you should leave him. Cause sister, you don't need And I ain't trying to gash up, I just call them how I see You know what makes me unhappy? When brothers make babies And leave a young mother to be a pastor And since we all came from a woman Got our name from a woman And I came from a woman I wonder why we take from our women Why we rape our women Do we hate our women? I think it's time to kill for our women Time to heal our women Be real to our women and if we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the ladies that make the babies. And since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, ladies. But keep your head up. And if you 
ball stands all to come back for more. Cause ain't nothing worse than when your son wants to know why his daddy don't love him no more. You can't complain you was dealt this hell of a hand without a man feeling helpless. Because it's too many things for you to deal with. Dying inside, but outside you're looking big. While the tears is rolling down your cheek, your daddy hoping things don't all fall this week. Cause if it did, you couldn't take it. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.